Fry Gave a 13th Horror Podcast is a proud independent podcast. To learn more about the show, visit frygave13.com. Andrew, I think I'm switching jobs. What? I mean, great ambition and everything, but this is big news. Yeah, I know, but it's time for me to go back to my first real love, the theater. Maddie, do you even have any roles lined up? I mean, when's the last time you were even in a play? Oh, not as an actor, silly. As a composer and lyricist, I'm going to write musicals. Okay, well, uh, what's one of your ideas, you think? Well, one that I have is actually pretty exciting. It's all about this woman who loves to sing opera and a fiend in a mask who also loves opera and he kidnaps her and then he, you know, Ma- Maddie, keeps- Maddie, 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 that, that's Phantom of the Opera. Oh, that's a catchy title. I like that. Now, another one that I have is all about the French Revolution and the people that are fighting it out in the streets. Maddie, that is Les Mis. Oh. Well, nice. I I think that that's a good French title. I'll I'll keep that in mind. Now, my last idea is about two podcasters. So one lives in Chicago and one lives in Ireland. Sounds familiar. Uh, What would you call it? Friday the 13th Horror Podcast, The Musical. Maddie, I think you should give this job change some serious thought. Well, until then, it's episode 109. Broadway is terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message. To save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay divine, we honor thee from life to death. Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? Justice! What do we want it? Let's go! What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes that is better. As the number of COVID cases spread, so does the impact on Broadway. A hit musical will soon close permanently, while a star of another show has tested positive for COVID. CBS 2's Ali Bauman joins us live tonight from the Theater District. Ali. Well, Dana, this is supposed to be one of Broadway's busiest seasons, but of the 30 shows currently on Broadway, at least seven are closed tonight. Welcome to Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And if this is your first time with us at Friday the 13th Horror Podcast, welcome to the podcast that talks about horror in real life and in the movies from an LGBT perspective. Glad to have you with us for our 109th episode. How fun is that? Um, Talking about Broadway, talking about theater, talking about musicals, um, spooky stories from backstage and crazy things happening during shows, auditions that just don't go right, you know, resident ghosts in theaters, all that kind of shit. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, and hey, if if you are new, just want to say again, we're really glad to have you with us. Well, and if you're, and if, yeah, and if you're not new, we're really glad that you've stuck with us all this time. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks folks. Um, this is November. It's good to be with you after Halloween. We're in that post-Halloween sort of dredge. You know what I mean? 
Andrew. A slog. Yes, yeah. I know. Well, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I will say, you know, Halloween on, on a Tuesday this year didn't really help, if we're being honest. But like, it, it, you know, like the weekend before was fine. You know, I, I went out with some friends and had fun, I guess. But like, it, it was like the actual Halloween, it's, it's sort of like, it wasn't all, I don't know. It was, it was sort of anticlimactic. How was yours? Uh, we had a blizzard, so it was great. Oh, that's right. My God, the blizzard. <laughs> I remember back back in um, 2019, there was a blizzard too. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I remember, because um, it was you know pre-pandemic time, so we, we were all still going to work. And I think Halloween fell on, it was definitely a weekday. And I, I was going to go do something, but I was so fucking pissed about the weather. And so I just got off the train and went to I went to the Red Lion in Lincoln Park, a haunted bar in Chicago, and I got wasted because I was so mad. Um, it was a good night. Welcome though. to Scorpio season. Yeah, it's never you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> right, right. So listen, folks. Before we get into the meat of our episode today, we're going to go to the certified terrifying corner, Andrew's favorite place. Um, I where feel he like loves... we should have like a, like a screech mm-hmm. sound when that happens, like a veering off the road. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Andrew, add it in right here. Boom. There it is. Okay. Um, and that, that, that'll be our new thing. That's a good idea. I like this. <laughs> All right. So listen, we're going to talk about just two things today. Uh, and the first one is this. Uh, and this one is, I mean, look, both of these people should worry about both of these. But this is one that Americans should be really, really concerned about. This is from the New York Times. Trump leads Biden in five critical swing states. Those are Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. That's from the time, the New York Times Siena poll. Um, and he's not just leading, like he's leading with, with a substantial lead and like, like it's like at least 10 points kind of lead. This is, uh, this is patently insane. Like everyone, mm-hmm. like everyone gets that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like the, 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 the chance for Trump to become president again is so real. And I don't know, I don't know, like. I think like my my European friends over here, like they definitely think that he will be president again because they just they look at America and they're like, God, you guys are all so fucked up. So like, <laughs> that's what that's what they believe. But I would imagine that my friends back in America and Andrew, probably your friends, too, are probably like, oh, no, no way he's going to be president again. Well, remember when you said that back in 2016? Uh, um, look, look what happened. I, 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 I think. Maybe this time you're a little off base because I feel like people are really nervous about it. <laughs> I don't well, think anybody well, are they are they nervous or are they actually saying like uh, this could really happen? No, they. I think people are saying this could really happen because there are no other front runners in the Republican Party anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think if you would have talked to people maybe six months ago, we would have been saying like, oh, DeSantis or blah, 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 or like all these people like could be. But they've kind of all fallen off of the <sighs> like the, the bandwagon, I guess is the a word you could use for it. But like now that he's really the only nominee, it's like serious nominee because there are other people running, but nobody's talking about any of them. They're all insane. And because, uh, I mean, just because Biden's a very like boring president, if I'm being honest, like he's, he's just not really doing much. I think people are kind of like, I don't know. There's something weird about the energy of Trump that gets people going. And I don't think Biden has the wherewithal to handle it. You know what I mean? Like, and it's I, scary I don't and think- it's sad, but <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I, I agree with you. I think that what what where Biden really failed is that he didn't do enough shit right off the bat. 
and yeah. he should he should have done the shit to get the people excited. He should have canceled student debt. Just get fucking rid of it. He should have he should have become the union president. Like he's he was the union president this year, but he wasn't the other two years so far. You know, like where were you on those issues two years ago when this shit was going on? And you know, the, you did it this time for the auto workers, but like the, that's that's it's all too late. Like if you if you give people these slices of things so late in the game. They're not going to give a fuck because what if they can't happen? It's like it's like with the student debt thing. He waited so fucking long for the Supreme Court to say something, and then they fucking ruined it. Like he could have had that program rolling from the get go to get the fucking shit done. People could have gotten their money, and then it would have been tied up in so many fucking knots. SCOTUS wouldn't have been able to fucking do anything in the first place. Yeah, so, I, don't I don't understand. Know. I don't understand like why we all filled out those like forms and everything if nothing was going to happen you know what i mean <laughs> well it was before scotus rule it's just it's such a pile of shit and then on top of this now and here we go right into our next item the war in israel of course that affects america in big ways and now his performance on this war is going to be on it's not even our war <laughs> and and his performance will be graded on it and already, like I was watching the news today um i find we finally have cnn back on on virgin um cable here and uh, I was watching it for for a little while, and they were talking to um, to Muslims, uh, to, to people people within the Muslim community in um, in Dearborn, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and we've actually talked about this community a, a few times yeah. in, yeah, in this in, in terrifying corner, and they're just like a political football, like back and forth, right? And like now, there's all these people saying that they're not going to vote, that they're going to vote for Trump instead, and I'm like. <laughs> Uh, like, look, I'm not the biggest Biden fan. Don't get me wrong here. But like, are you so let me get this straight. You're Muslim and you're going to vote. <laughs> you're going to vote for Donald Trump because he likes you. <laughs> are you yeah. fucking are you fucking kidding me? That's insane, man. Come I don't on. I there is no logic anymore. That's all I that's all I can say. Like, I don't know. Like, I try to like read into like what people could be thinking, but I don't think people are anymore. And I think that agreed. There is no um critical thinking anymore. It's just, you know, spurt out what you've been told and yeah. keep going. <laughs> you know what agreed. I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. Fucked up. Final item is the Israel and Hamas war rages on. It's uh, almost a full month on now. Um, we're recording this on November 5th. It's a Sunday. Um, thousands of people have died on both sides. Uh, the The rhetoric around all of it is so heated. It's so high. And I think, you know, you just said something there, too, that, like, you know, people are just sort of spurting out whatever they're hearing from somebody else. Mm -hmm. That is what is going on here, too. And, yeah. you know, I've been, um, I've been talking to my friend, if, if I'm being honest, like talking to my friends that I agree with on what's going on, because I can't handle the arguments offline anymore. Like it's, it's, I, I think what, what's occurring in the zeitgeist around this is so fucking odd. It's so odd. The alliances that are being made, the way that people the ways that people are are acting about this are it's fucking wild and you know uh, it's it's um it's really baffling i i'll tell you there there's a really great article um in the atlantic from the past couple of weeks by this guy named simon seabag montefiore and simon montefiore is a uh, he's an english uh, historian 
he's he's pretty famous. He's written a lot of books. He's he's an excellent historian and author. He wrote a great article about you know the need for some some critical thought for some rational thought in in the debate about Israel and Palestine and for some decency from people for some decency and also really calling out just how much people don't know about the history of Israel and Palestine which for most people is a fucking lot and like these opinions that they're making or the way that they're talking about colonialism or about the word genocide or about this or that or whatever. And people just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And like they're tossing around these words and they, they hardly even mean anything anymore. So if, if you get a chance, I would, I would, I would recommend that you read it um, because it's, it's really, really well done. And the, the, the conclusion of it is really this, like, look, whether anybody likes it or not, there will be an Israel after this war is over. There will be an Israel. Like it's not going to be gone. There will be an Israel and there will be a Palestine. And these people, they need to be bold, brave people on both sides that get together and make it work and have two states that can coexist peacefully so that this never happens again. It's just wild. Yeah, I think um, for me, this has been really tough because I feel people coming like out with a lot of opinions and you're not living through it. So I don't really give a shit about your opinion, if I'm being honest. Um, this is about the people that are going through it, and you need to just shut up and like figure out the best way towards peace because that's the only thing that we can hope for at this point, you know? Yeah, I mean, like... It I, sucks. I, I do think that it's it's a region that is so important for everybody that, like... I mean, like, like I was just saying earlier, it's like Biden, Biden is going to be impacted by this in the election. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It's crazy. <clears throat> so, you know, I do think that people need need to care about it and need to get into it. But like, don't be intellectually lazy. Like, yeah, dig, I think dig into it, read about it, form an opinion based on on like actual things, not on fucking TikTok. Not yeah. on some fucking no, TikTok that you got from like a fucking high schooler who thinks that they know the history of Israel and Palestine. They that's don't. what I'm. That's more what I'm talking about. Is just like I, I appreciate people writing things like in like with the article that you're talking about. I appreciate people like diving in and really wanting to understand. But like those people are few and far between. That's all I'll say because there's a lot of I people agree. out there that are that are have TikTok brain, if you will. And that's, they have an opinion for that day and that day only. And they don't understand that this is human life and that yep. these are people that are dying. So master's, master's degree it's, by TikTok. Master's degree by TikTok. It'll be there soon enough. I'm sure there. I already got served a, uh, what was it? A master's of content marketing the other oh, day. Jesus, like, God Jesus almighty. Oh <laughs> my God. I, can't you just like get a master's in marketing and call it a day? Like, yeah, fuck. seriously. <laughs> Anyways, that's a certified terrifying corner. So let's roll on with the show. So Andrew, this is all about Broadway today, theater, musicals, that that sort of stuff. Um, not just Broadway, West End, community theater, you high school theater, you name it. All these stories are out there. But look, Broadway is just easier to say, right? Yeah, it's just um, easier for us to distill down to. <laughs> yeah, so. like, look, we have to have a catchy title, folks. Okay, is that fine? So um, Andrew, I'm looking in the show notes here, and you have a really great question right off the top of the bat, which is, what's your favorite musical? Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me about yours? Um, so I'm a late bloomer to musicals. I didn't really grow up with them unless they kind of were like on TV every year, like, sure. uh, hot, like music. Sound music. Yeah. Like stuff like that. So 
Um, I just, it was never really in my family. Um, my high school didn't even have like a show choir or a choir or I think they, they did like one play a year and it was like, it wasn't even, it was like a club. It wasn't even like a class, you know what I mean? Interesting. And so, um, well, keep in mind my class was 50 people. So yeah, 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 (laughs) not a lot of talent there, if you know what I mean. Uh, I'll go into some of uh, I have a story about Rocky Horror when we get to it but um, yes um, so I was a little bit late one that I did see when I was really young and kind of had an impact on me uh, was a chorus line I still love a chorus line I saw the movie musical before I saw the actual musical um, which you know what a lot of people shit on that movie I still have fun with it I think it's so overly 80s that it just is kind of fun in that stupid way um and then I saw it when it did its revival. Um, I think it was like 2000, probably right around when they did the. Comeback. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then when I learned like about the history of the show and how that the guy who wrote it never got to see it. And like, I don't know, it was just like a really sad story. So I kind of like cling on to a chorus line is like my, I think my favorite. Okay. Um, I've, I've since seen a lot more, but I still always go back to a chorus line. I love about that. You? Um, for it, this is, this is obviously a pretty tough decision. Um, I, I'm sure I, it varies from day to day. Yeah. But I mean, there, there's definitely some core ones for me. Um, and I mean, God, I've been listening to musicals since I was a, a kid. And, um, I think that like the, the first musical that I really, really got into would have been Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, mm-hmm. and I got, I got into that from my sister. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, and then, you know, right when I started to get involved in high school theater is when Rent came out. And, you know, of course, a show about people living with AIDS in New York who can't pay their rent. Who else would that appeal to? But high school students, of course, I was obsessed with it. <laughs> um, and like, let me tell you, like that. At, the, the, oh, my God. Whatever, whatever year that was, I think it was 96. I want to say it came out. That sounds um, about right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like we were. Like we were obsessed with rent. I mean, like <laughs> eat, sleep, breathe. All of us knew every single fucking word to that show. We would get together at like the high school theater and just like do the numbers ourselves and just like do it because we were fucking nerds. Oh my God. But it was so much fun. But blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of musicals that I love that I've seen that, are, that have just been fantastic experiences and ones that I, I really, really treasure. If I had to pick out one right now for your question, though, it would be the last five years. And you oh, may have. God. <laughs> well, don't do that to my favorite musical. I didn't do that no, no, to no. yours. That's Thank just, you. No, that's a very, very sad musical. And I didn't know. What. Oh, I see. Okay. I didn't know what it was. And Michael just turned it on one day. And we, I watched it without any sort of good. Um, and I, I was not prepared for the emotional impact. <laughs> That's all I'll oh, say. <laughs> so for folks out there who have never heard of this before, um, there was a, a, a film version came out and I want to say 2017, uh, 17, I think. Yeah. And that would have been with Jeremy Jordan and what's her name? Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick. Yes. And, and they did a great job, I think. Um, so the story of uh, last five years is this. Um, it, it's a musical written by Jason Robert Brown. And Jason Robert Brown wrote this when he was still living in Evanston, Illinois, actually. It premiered at, oh, I can't think of the name of that theater up, up there right now, but it, it premiered up there. Um, Northlight Theater, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, 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 Northlight. Anywho, um, it's the story of a couple 
Um, and uh, they're, they're telling the story of their relationship from opposite points on the timeline, right? So she, I can't remember her name right now, um, Kath, Kath, Kathy, Kathy um, uh, starts telling the story to, to the audience at the end of their relationship. And Jamie, the guy, starts telling it at the start of the relationship. And so like they, they sort of trade off songs back and forth until they meet in the middle and, I, and they're never on stage together at the same time. That's something important to know. And they meet in the middle when they got married, right? And then they continue to cross over. That's the only time that they're on stage together is then. And then it, it ends with him at the end and her at the beginning. And like, look, this show saw me through little breakups, big breakups, fucking life, everything. And like, I've, I've got a core group of friends who really love last five years. We call it L5Y. Um, and like, <laughs> we absolutely, we've done that forever. And like, we just absolutely love it. Um, I, I first heard the show because uh, one of our best friends, John, um, he, he introduced it to me when we were in college. And then um, uh, two of our friends actually did the show in like a not like a community theater kind of way. It was um, our friend Nick, and I forget who who played Kathy. Oh, I forget who that was, um, but they did a great job. And like, I just fell in love with the show, and I've loved it ever since. And the only thing now is like, I have to be. I used to be able to listen to it whenever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, now I really do have to be careful because if I listen to last five years now. I'm bound to get sad. <laughs> like that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I, so I get sad. I get sad real quick with it. With it, so I got to be kind of careful about when I choose to listen. Excellent show. Just be in the yeah. right mindset. Otherwise, you might so send yourself off somewhere. <laughs> so sad. But look, Chorus Line and L Five Y, two fantastic musicals. Um, and Andrew, too. I put out on the social medias. Um, a little uh, prompt to our friends out there in social media land, asking for any stories that people who are involved in theater might have about mm. like spooky things happening ar- around the theater or superstitions that they follow before they go on stage, all that kind of stuff, right? So Fun. we did get a few responses. And would you like to hear those now? Yeah, I would love to. Great. So first off, there's a couple of superstitions. Um, and the here's the first one. And I'm just going to read them verbatim. Superstition that we held fast to. You never say break a leg to a dancer. You say merde, which technically means shit in French, or you lick your finger and touch their shoulder. And that what? follows on. <laughs> yeah. That, that, and this is true. Um, like Even if, if you're in a musical, like obviously in theater, um, you know, before you go on stage, you tell your fellow castmates, hey, break a leg. To a dancer, you would never do that, even if it's a dancer in a musical. So like if it's not a ballet, but it's a musical and they're just they're, they're just dancing, you don't say break a leg ever. Um, the New York City Ballet does the finger licking thing. We copied them. I don't know where the saying merit came from, but it was considered as bad as saying the Scottish play to tell a dancer to break a leg. Now, that leads on to another superstition. Andrew, do you know what that one is, the Scottish play? Uh, no, no, okay. no. So there is a long, long curse in the theater that if you say Macbeth when you are in a theater, like obviously if you're producing Macbeth, that the curse goes away. <laughs> but like, but <laughs> there are circumstances. It, exactly right. But if you are not producing the play Macbeth, and you say Macbeth in the theater, you have cursed that show and things will start to go wrong from there. So oh, that's why no. yeah, you'll sometimes hear theater people say the Scottish play 
instead of Macbeth. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying now. Yep. I didn't quite like put two and two together, but I get it. I, exactly. My, right. my brain is connecting now. <laughs> so, and let's see here. So um, a couple more that, that I've got for you. Um, uh, my friend Shane sent one in. Hi, Shane. He said, totally worked at a theater in Northeast Ohio. It's on the grounds of a decommissioned psychiatric institution. And there are several Perfect ghosts. place for a theater. Why not? Right? <laughs> well, I mean, look, it, theater is pretty crazy, so it kind of makes sense. And he said that there are several ghosts of patients who show up and make noise during shows. Um, one from my friend Katie, who I went to college with. Katie said, a personal one for me. On oh, and uh, Katie's a stage manager, by the way, she, and she's an excellent stage manager. Um, and Katie said a personal one uh, on opening night or my first night with a show. I always feel like my grandpa is behind me in a good way, watching over me and making sure I have a good opening. Isn't that sweet? It's lovely. Yeah, I just think that like you know what, some of those patients from the from your psychiatric ward, maybe they're just fans. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. they just. <laughs> hey, are you doing the Scottish play? We're ghosts. Yeah. We want to see it. Yeah. Um, and then another, the final one here is this. Um, and the person says, okay, so it wasn't a ghost, but it was spooky. I played Bobby Strong in the regional premiere of Town at the Phoenix Theater in Indianapolis. We're in the middle of the show in the scene just before the song, Follow Your Heart. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this shape sort of flit through the air. And I'm thinking maybe it's the reflection off of someone's watch. Maybe it's a UFO, but we keep on and the <laughs> swoopy UFO. thing just keeps, well, swooping. Suddenly, the actress playing Hope grabs my arm with a kung fu grip. She is terrified by the swoop. So she, I, I finally realize that it is a bat just hanging out, <laughs> flying around the stage, being a bat. We're trying to get through the song now, which is tracked because we had no room for an orchestra. So there's no stopping. So she gets to the point in the song where she listens to my heart. I ask her what she heard, and she goes, I don't know. There's a bat. <laughs> the audience lost it, and we all survived. But it's a moment that I will never forget. Really. Two Go ahead. Two things there. Yeah. Um, the bat's just a fan. Uh, once yep, again, exactly. it's there for the show. Uh, and two, you've inspired me to now come up with a new uh, way of doing that show where it's actually called Urine Town. Yes. And it's all about pee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You're, have you listened to Urine Town before? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, wonderful show. I think but wouldn't I, it be better like with it a lot? golden showers? You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm into it. Now, I also have for you just a, a, a one little story here about um, some of the creepiest stories of Broadway ghosts. And there, and this is a, an article from grunge.com. It's from this year. So you can look that up. Um, and they go through um, about eight or nine different Broadway theaters. Um, and some some really good stuff. But the one that I'll give you is this because it's about Patty Lapone. <laughs> I love Patty Lapone. So, okay, the title of this one is Patty Lapone Encountered Something Ghostly at the Eugene O'Neill Theater. A wonderful theater, <laughs> by the way. Um, so even high octane Broadway divas, it seems, aren't immune to a scare or two. At the Eugene O'Neill Theater, recently home to the hit musical The Book of Mormon, headliner Patty Lapone may have herself encountered a spirit. Playbill reports that Lupone was at the Eugene O'Neill Theater during the 2006 run of the Stephen Sondheim musical Sweeney Todd. According to a report from fellow actor and singer Donna Lynn Champlin, uh, Lupone's dressing room seemed to have been, <clears throat> pardon me, seemed to have been a locus for paranormal activity. 
As Champlin maintained, the doors to Lapone's room would often open and close without anyone nearby. Once, Lupone believed that she had stepped backwards onto her friend's foot. When she apologized, the friend revealed that she hadn't been standing anywhere nearby. Lapone turned and saw no one behind her. Otherwise, objects in the O'Neill Theater seemed to move of their own accord, sometimes disappearing and then reappearing in odd places like a forgotten rack in the theater basement. Other objects appeared to have been pushed or pulled off the prop shelves by unseen forces, while ghostly hands have been felt yanking on an actor's hair. Sometimes the smell of lilacs wafts onto the stage for no Hmm. discernible reason. Sounds lovely. Right? Actors have also reported hearing names whispered right next to their ears, though no one can be seen at their side. So it's a little bit about the Eugene O'Neill Theater and specifically the diva Patty Lupone. Um, what, coach, what we don't know is if she was on some spirits of her own. <laughs> right, you know exactly. I mean? yeah. So look, go read that article because there's other great ones in there. There's a great story about Ethel Merman haunting the Imperial Theater. There's a great uh, little little piece about the Gershwin Theater and how it's like chock full of ghosts. So go check that out at grunge.com, the creepiest stories of Broadway ghosts. Yeah. So one thing that we don't often talk about, you know, we talk about these great actors and uh, musical lyricists and everything that go on to do these huge shows, but nearly not often do we hear about when they crashed and burned at the audition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have a couple of stories uh, from a couple of people who are now huge in in the industry, but uh, had some uh, truly terrible audition stories. I'll I'll, I'll tell Uh, you what, Andrew, at the end of this, I'll tell you my worst audition story. Okay. Okay. Um, so Joel Gray, uh, he says, uh, this is in his words, so I'm just going to read it as, yeah. as, as, as him. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I auditioned for The Sound of Music to play a young German boy. Yes, a Nazi. Hey, it was work. <laughs> it was Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, they had no interest in me at all. None. I sang, I am 16 going on 17, and they let me finish because I knew the casting director. They did it as a favor. They were never planning to hire me. Then they said, next. Thank you. Next. Um, and the words of Ariana Grande. But, Thank um, you. Next. Uh, it's funny, but when I was in Cleveland at age 10 or 11, there was a play this called uh, Tomorrow the World with a great part for a young Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I didn't, I didn't get that. And it was a crusher. I think that's when I knew I wasn't going to be. It wasn't it was going to be hard. Um, Gray went on now and is currently starting in Anything Goes where he finally got to play a nazi (laughs) yes good for him um and he of course went on to do a cabaret for which he won a tony an oscar and a golden globe so trifecta baby trifecta um harvey firestein which everyone i I hope everyone knows who that is um but my worst audition was for the role of roberta muldoon the transvestite football player in the 1982 film the world according to garp um, the casting director, Marion Doherty, called me in, and the first time around, I was ter- terrific. So she had me back to audition for the director, George Roy Hill, and I crashed and burned. I was terrible. He wouldn't even look at me. He looked at Marion, the casting director, and said, do you even want this job or not? Uh, you know you've hit rock bottom when you get the casting director fired. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, Martha Plimpton, she says, uh, when I was a kid, eight or nine, I'd already done a workshop with um, El- with Elizabeth Swatos for 1978's uh, Runaways. 
she was developing an avant-garde musical about Alice in Wonderland and wanted me to come in and improvise as Alice. She had no script, no music. She just wanted a child at the play. The problem was I was a child at a play on stage. <laughs> she was in the audience <laughs> and uh, Joe Papp was there as well. I had, to uh, run around or, wow. I had to run around or pretend I was chasing a rabbit, but I was completely at a loss. Uh, coincidentally, the job was eventually given to Meryl Streep, wow. who was in her 20s at the time. Oh my I God. Think, I think that they thought it was a disastrous experiment and they discovered they might do better with an adult instead of a child. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So those are some of the uh, horror stories. Maddie, why don't you tell us your little uh, audition <sighs> horror story? I've never so, had to audition, so I don't know the 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 the, the stakes or how it feels. So. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I – so look, after I graduated college and moved to Chicago, I, I started a theater company, and um, and I was, you know, still trying to figure out, like, what do I want to do with this thing that I studied and that I love so much? And so it, there, there was there was a time when like acting was still fun for me, and that didn't last very long, to be honest. I and I, I let that go, and I I found directing and producing that that was more fun for me. Um, but when I was still acting, um, I was taking classes. Um, actually, Michael took a class with her. Um, uh, I forget, God, I forget her name right now. But uh, Chicago Shakespeare Theater offered these wonderful Shakespeare classes. And they were all about acting and, and using the folio technique. And it was just, it was great stuff. And I love Shakespeare. And so like getting to audition for, um, for the actual like house and it's an equity house. So this is like, you know, a real professional theater here, um, was like a dream for me. And so if you took the class, you got to audition for like the actual casting director and um, the casting director, God, I forget his last name now. His first name was Bob. But I mean, this is a this is a big time director. Like, I mean, he he'll cast shit for like New York. He'll cast for L.A. And he can he cast specifically for Chicago. So like you mm -hmm. get in that room, you know, the stakes, you know how big this guy is like you're going for it. Right. So like I'm in this audition and I'm waiting outside in the hall and I'm like with like professional actors and like people who have been doing this for a long time. They make a lot of money doing it, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> so I go in and I have my monologue all set to go. It's from two gentlemen, two gentlemen of Verona. I've been working on that motherfucker for weeks. I had it fucking down, ready to go. Right. So I do that monologue. And I fucking nail it. I mean, nail it. I was very, very fucking good. And like, they were even like, I, I could see that they were impressed. Like, they were like, oh, that was really good. And so I'm like, oh, in my heart, I'm like, oh my God, thank God this is over, number one. And number two, like, they liked it. How fucking cool is that? And then Bob goes, um, so what's your musical piece? <laughs> and my heart, I swear to God, my heart jumped out of my chest. And I, in my head, I'm going, they never said musical piece. What is he talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. And then like, somewhere in the audition notes, I must, I just must have missed, oh, you also have to prepare a song. So obviously I had no song prepared, right? And like in the room, there's a piano player there. I should have known this when I walked in. Like, why is there a fucking piano for a Shakespeare <laughs> audition? So I, 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 I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I, I can't remember what I said. I think I said something like, oh, you know what? I didn't know we had to prepare a song. But I'll tell you what, Bob, <laughs> something, something like that. I'll tell you what, I will sing a cappella lullaby of Broadway for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just fucking look. God, I, I love how brave I can be at times. And I, that was actually really brave of me, of, of little Maddie. I stuck my feet to the ground. I took in a big breath. 
and my ass went acapella on Lullaby of Broadway. And you know what? For no accompaniment, <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I did not get cast in any of the shows. <laughs> um, so it was not a successful audition. But you know what? At least I did it. Um, so it was fun. Now, um, Andrew, have you ever been involved with any theater at all? No, um, not at all. <laughs> I will tell only you. as a only as an audience member. Yeah, you know, I, I God, I've been in. I've been a part of many, 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 many productions, either acting or directing or producing or whatever. I one thing that I thought about talking about today, which I didn't want to go into, like into like my my actual story, was like thinking about like how vulnerable people are when you're mm-hmm. doing theater. And, you know, as somebody who really loved the theater and still is figuring out how much I love it in my life, um, like, I've been really glad over the years to see things change in really positive ways. And, you know, like back in the day, like with intimacy or with violence on stage, I mean, you got to remember, like, we just like fucking winged it every time. Yeah. So like, if I have to kiss you, like, okay, I guess we'll just figure this out, blah, 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 blah. Or if we have to like fuck on stage, you just like figure that out. Or if you're fighting, you just kind of like figure it out. And like eventually the theater world got smart. And I was like, oh, what if we have somebody specifically come to work on this? And, you know, one of one of Michael's best friends, uh, Tony, Tony Cena, was one of the very first intimacy directors, you know, yep. to go out there and say, hey, let's give this like some actual some actual thought. Let's let's be thoughtful about how we do intimacy on stage. And she's really revolutionized with the way that it's done. Or when it comes to fighting, you know, fight direction is so important. Safety is important. But I mean, God, when I think back on some productions, it's just we did it all willy nilly. And, you know, I I would say that the final thing, too, is we, we heard a lot in the Me Too movement about stuff with movies. We didn't hear a whole lot about like Broadway and plays. And let me tell you what. That shit is so rampant. It's fucking insane. And well, like, it'll we'll talk about it when we highlight our one yeah, of our movies and yeah, how big of an impact that that had in oh, that yeah. movie. But yeah, and like and and watching that, <clears throat> it, it felt like stuff that we had like all me and all my friends have been through before. And um, like just thinking about the the amount, like even in college at IU, um, the amount of sexual harassment that all of us as young people had to go through with these like decrepit directors and, and producers and this and that and whatever. It's just like, I look back on it and I'm honestly like disgusted. And like, I know know that in professional theater, the shit that goes on, it's just fucked up. So, you know, I only say that just to say that like, I'm, I'm genuinely glad that I've seen some things change. I think it's such a good, such a good thing. So, yeah, totally. Um, so one last thing before we close out yeah. um, the, the tour in real life is that we forget that people need to get paid for these things. And <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, you know, equity is very important. And um, what we forget is when COVID showed up. Oh, God. And yeah. it shut down literally everything in the theater world. And people couldn't make money. Yeah. And they're still having to live in New York City and still trying to have pay those rents and everything and just had no money coming in. Um, a couple of people that you and Michael went to college with were actually impacted yeah. uh, by the COVID-19 shutdown. Elizabeth Stanley, who was Ugh. in Jagged Little Pill at the time. Uh, she actually never got her time on stage uh, uh, when she was nominated for a Tony. She should have been on the Tony stage uh, doing her. She had fucking COVID that night. 
I know. Um, and then um, the other person, Abby Mueller, she was uh, all Ugh. set to go on as the opening for Six, which if you've not seen Six, it's probably one of the most perfect musicals I've seen in a really long time uh, because it's, guess what? It's yeah. 70 minutes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> perfect. Like, it's it's so good. Um, if you have not seen Six, oh, seriously, search it out. It's touring all over the place right now. It's very good. Um, and let, and let me she, tell you, th- those two, Elizabeth and Abby... Those are fucking mm-hmm. queens, bitch. I mean, they know what the fuck they are doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's so it's, fucking good. It is crazy uh, the amount of talent that came Ugh. out of your guys' like, let's collected like six years of, of college. Uh, it's just honestly, insane. Incredible. Because like in, in that same class of people that we're talking about right now, you've got Aryan Moayed, for example, who was in Succession. Who was in? Who was who? Who was just up for a Tony Award at the same time that he was up for a fucking um, uh, Emmy Award? Like, yeah, insane crazy. kind of shit, you know. So going back, um, uh, when New York Governor Andrew Cuomo closed Broadway theaters on March 12th of 2020, uh, kind of in response, the New York theater scene was just heating up and it was just ahead of the Tony Awards with 31 shows playing and another eight scheduled to begin performances by mid-April. Wow. And then the theaters would remain closed until at least September or in some of these cases that I'll share with you, never happened again. Oh, man. Um, some of the ones that closed were Hangman, uh, which was Martin McDonough's yeah. <laughs> uh, new comedy car- starring Dan Stevens. Shout out uh, to the guest, which we've reviewed on the show. Yep. Go back and listen. <laughs> and Mark Addy, which is now who was from Game of Thrones at the time, yeah. um, announced March 20th that it would not reopen after playing 13 preview performances ahead of its expected March wow. 19th official God. opening. So never officially opened. Um, also closed during this time and never came back was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with, with uh, uh, Ray Metcalf and Rupert so Everett, which good. would have been so good. Um, it had just played nine per- preview performances in broad- before Broadway went dark. I also, um, was, I also just want to tell you that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a horror film. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it there. I'm leaving it there. Um, and then it just it never came back. They were rescheduled to come back April 9th, but we all know what was happening at that time. Oh, and it just that's never so came sad. Back. Um, also closed was a kind of a, a the, I, I think this one was kind of people were really looking forward to uh, is Beetlejuice. I mean, who everyone was like, what the fuck Beetlejuice as a as a as a musical? Like, how's this going to work? That, honestly, uh, I, unf- I forgot about that, Andrew. Now that you're saying yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't. Um, the adaptation of Tim Burton's movie played 27 previews and 366 regular performances, and then it shut down. Wow. Um, and then finally, Mean Girls, which I don't know if you saw, but Mean Girls, the musical, the movie is now happening. Wait, what? Um, yeah, what? they just released a preview for it. It's Mean Girls, the musical, uh, the movie. I mean, I will um, say I, I do remember seeing um, a, a clip of Mean Girls, the musical and thinking, no, <laughs> this is this is not going to work for me. Uh, yeah, I think I saw like a Tony performance. I've never seen the whole show. Yeah, um, same. It seemed like it might have worked. I don't know. I've seen I've seen weirder things work. I mean, I saw Bring It On the musical, and that was fantastic. I think, so. I, I think for me, like I, I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to a, another golden age of Broadway, where like we're producing original. Like a, yeah, like original musicals that aren't just movies. Like I think because, that we need to we need to start pushing it that way. Otherwise, uh, we're just going to get recycled shit to. after recycled shit. Like enough. 
Um, so look at, look for my new, uh, my new musical urine town. Yes. <laughs> um, I love urine. Town. So, uh, mean girls, uh, cl- it opened in April of 2018 and actually played 805 performances. Jesus. And then on January 7th, um, 2000, uh, 2021, sorry. Um, the producers announced that the show would not reopen on Broadway. Wow. So, after all that time and all those performances, just insane, but just kind of like, I think, as a collective, like aud- like as a collective um, audience, I guess I'll say, is I think we kind of forgot the impact of COVID on those workers. We were so sure. concentrated on yeah. like grocery store workers and so concentrated on nurses and and which which we should have been. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but like a lot of people either never got their start, had to stop, or maybe gave up because yeah. of covid and really sucks i mean it was understandable we had to do it but that's still it's just, sad it's still sad. yeah it's just really sad but God. all right well that will do it oh for, oh just wait oh. wait one more thing is okay. this so for horror fans out there if you're not if you're thinking oh there's no musical for me i don't know i'll tell you one right now it's called bat boy the musical oh no <laughs> wait, have you, wait have you, i've never played it for you before no, no. Oh my God. Bat Boy the Musical, just trust me on this. If you've never heard it before and you're a horror fan, go look it up, fucking listen to it. It's it's hilarious and also it's fucking good. It's such a good <laughs> show, man. Bat Boy the Musical. You heard it here first. Cool. Well, that will do it for our horror in real life. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with what you've been watching, bitch. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to another edition of What You Been Watching, Bitch. What You Been Watching, You Singing, Dancing, Bitch. Oh, I like that one. Um, folks, this is the segment of the show where we talk about what we've been watching, bitch. And so each of us picks four things, and then we tell you all about it. And Andrew will tell you about the first thing that he's been watching right now. The first one that I've been watching, and we'll sh- we'll save our shared one for the end. Yeah, that's sure. cool with you. Um, the first one I've been watching was Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, how how was this? Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's currently uh, in the United States. It's currently on uh, HBO Max. So you can watch it there. Okay. Um, it's all about um, real life um, Christopher Robin. And he uh, basically is coming back to the Hundred Acre Wood to introduce his fiance to his childhood um, uh, play friends. You know what okay. I mean? Like, sure. And what he doesn't understand, though, is when he left, they didn't know what to do because he had taken care of them for so long. Oh no! That they started to starve. Oh and my so god! I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say one of the. Uh, one of your cast of characters of the Hundred Acre Wood don't make it to the end. Oh and they my had God. to eat him for sustenance. Jesus, <laughs> and, that's crazy. And it drives them mad, and then all their all their energy is put towards getting revenge on Christopher Robin. And um in, in coincidence, there's also like a girls' party that's happening in like a nearby cabin where there's like I think it's a hen party, but I, okay. I, I I'm not I can't remember if it was a birthday party or a bachelorette party. Um and then they get wrapped into it, blah, 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 blah. Um ingenious idea. Mm-hmm. Like I will give the filmmakers that. Um execution uh, C good. levels. It's C level. I don't uh, know. That's it's a shame. Not, 
it's not horrible. Like it's not unwatchable. Yeah. And the, and, and the blood and gore is pretty good, but like when you strip it down, it's just kind of another slasher movie. And I, I was kind of hoping that the, the beginning, the, the story that I told you is the most interesting part. And really? then it kind of just falls apart. And there's no, there's really weird exclusions. Like uh, this isn't giving anything away. Cause you've seen like the preview, but like, yeah, sure. There yeah. is no Tigger. And I'm like, what? Tigger's like an integral part of Winnie the Pooh. Could, so, they not, could they not get rights to Tigger or something? I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know if they're maybe it. saving it. Maybe they're saving it for a sequel. I don't know. But I mean, that wouldn't but, make any sense because how could you watch Winnie the Pooh and not have Tigger there? Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's, it's Winnie the Pooh, it's Eeyore, it's Piglet, and it's Tigger. Like everyone knows. If you don't know that, like you weren't an actual child. Yeah. And and Rabbit. Rabbit is... Uh, and Rabbit. Uh, and Rabbit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Uh, enter at your own risk, I guess. Okay. (laughs) Uh, my first one is, um, it's one that I have been looking forward to watching for a long time. Um, and we did a, what was the, um, uh, when we were doing our, our monster series, we did one on what shapeshifters are called. What? Um, like not skinwalkers. Uh, we had a name for it. I can't remember. Therianthropes, right? Therianthropes. There you go. Therianthropes. Um, if you we we recorded that, and like this movie came out like almost at the same time, and we both just kind of missed it. And this honestly, this would have been perfect for that episode. Not even joking, um, because it's literally about therianthropes. Um, (laughs) and this is called Wolf. Uh, came out in 2021, so during the pandemic when things got kind of lost, right? Um, George Mackay is in it, um, who, God, he's just so fucking hot. Um, but a bunch of other people, too. Uh, Patty Considine, uh, Lily Rose Depp, uh, Fiona Shea. And Fiona Shea is, is, is uh, from Ireland. He's going to be playing in that that new James Joyce movie about to come out. He's supposed to be really, really good. Uh, Dara Shannon, Lola, Lola Pettigrew, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it is about a... Um, uh, it's about like a rehab facility, um, and it's in it's in England, and it is for like teenagers basically who think that they are animals. And so George McKay believes that he is a wolf. That's his. There's a girl who believes that she is a parrot. There's a boy who believes that he's a dog. There's another guy who believes that he's a squirrel. On and on and on, right? And so it's just sort of like their story about being at this rehab. Um, the person who runs the rehab is called the zookeeper. And the zookeeper is like um, the psychologist who's trying to get them to not believe that they're animals anymore. But he's got really heavy-handed techniques. Pretty cruel stuff. Um, uh, George Mackay meets Lily Rose Depp, who believes that she is a cat. And they form this relationship and stuff just kind of goes on from there. So, I mean, look, I was looking forward to seeing it because um, I think that just like the vibe of it looked like what I wanted. Um, I really love George McKay besides just being so fucking cute. He's a seriously great actor and everything that he's been in has just been fantastic in in my opinion. Um, And it just looked interesting. Unfortunately, I would say that like the, the execution of it just, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And oh, no. I don't really know what I wanted it to be, if I'm being honest. I just know that like by the end of it, I just sort of felt like, really? That's that's what we're getting? So I was pretty disappointed in it. Um, so, you know, look, if you're if you're interested in that kind of thing, I would go ahead and give it, you know, give it a watch. Um, it was it was I think I saw it on Netflix. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. So I watched it for free. It's, it's not going to hurt you. But do I want to watch it again? I don't think so. 
Yeah, when I saw when I saw this on your list, I thought you were going to talk about the '90s movie, but oh, with, <laughs> uh, I never with, with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> also, kind of a mess of a movie. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> all right, my next one is a follow up from our last episode. So, if you've not listened to our Halloween episode, there might be slight spoilers here, but um, okay, not really. So, I watched The House in Between Part Two. Oh, um, how was it? Um, so it takes place, I think, like two years after, because if okay. you remember correctly, the uh, the first one took place before COVID. So right, right. And so this one takes place like after COVID has like settled down or whatever. Okay. Um, which where this takes place, I doubt they even believed that COVID existed, but if you invite was it Florence, Mississippi, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the house in between part two, um, it's it's kind of more of the same, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, they do they do do a lot more about like paranormal investigation in this one. Like it's okay. And 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 they they do okay. I'm here to spoil one little thing for you. They finally okay. do dig, which I was so okay. happy about. Good, good. Um, I'm not going to tell you the outcome of that because I would good. encourage yeah. people to watch it. If you liked the first one, you'll like the second one. I just there wasn't like. I guess for me, it was kind of like there's no really clear reason except for the time span that this, you know, was filmed over yeah, that this sure. couldn't have all been just one movie. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah, so, makes sense. But it was still entertaining. Um, and there, there is kind of a, a, a quote unquote, like conclusion to it all. Um, I don't think it's like the most satisfying ending if i'm being honest but okay i still had fun watching it i mean put something ghosty in front of me where balls are gonna yeah. fly down you know some stairs and stuff i'm gonna be entertained but um i think that they maybe if this wouldn't have taken place like over the course of i guess it'd be like what three four years yeah um they probably could have just edited it down to one movie but okay cool um i will watch it for sure uh, my next one is one that I had definitely seen before, but not for a long time. The last time that I saw this, Andrew, was at the AMC right in the loop with my ex-fiance. So <laughs> it's been a long time. So I haven't watched it literally since then. And it was on, I can't remember where I watched it, but I watched it on demand somewhere. Um, and I thought, you know what? Why not give it another chance? It, it, I remember it being pretty good. And it's The Revenant. This came out in 2015. Um, it was uh, it was directed uh, by Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaritu, and it starred um, a, God, a bunch of people, but Leo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, Donald Gleason, Will Poulter, on down the line. I so, can't believe that's from 2015. It feels I like know. it happened like two years ago. <laughs> I know. And like, I'll tell you what, this movie fucking slaps, dude. Like, this is a crazy-ass story. The character that Leo DiCaprio plays, Hugh Glass, um, damn, that dude cannot catch a fucking break in this movie. Like it is one, <laughs> one, it's, it's like, it's like me getting an ear infection twice. You know what I mean? It just goes on and on and on. It's wild. Um, and Tom Hardy does a great job of being sort of just like this, 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 I don't know, this villain that, that hardly even knows that he is one. And he does a, a fantastic job of playing that. Um, Donald Gleason is wonderful. I mean, on down the line. So I'm really glad that I watched it again. You know, it's a great movie about revenge and it's a great movie about fucking violence and what the world was like. Oh my God. Just wild. If you have not seen the Revenant, I do highly recommend watching this. It is a little long, of course. Um, but you know, look, what, what's a long movie if it's a, if it's a really good story and this is one. So the Revenant, I recommend to thee. 
Yeah. My next one is another new one that I missed in theaters. I think it came out in like June of this year. Um, The Boogeyman. Um, Oh, I saw this. It was wonderful. Yeah, I was looking forward to it because I had read the the short story uh, that was in uh, Skeleton Crew. Maybe I think one of the, one sure. of the uh, one of the short stories in one of those books from Stephen King. Sure. Um, so I was looking forward to this. It's obviously a way more expanded version than the than the actual uh, yeah. move than the, the the story itself. The story itself is more about like, do you know that guy? You've seen it. So I'm not spoiling anything, but the guy who shows up at the beginning and in, into that psychologist, um, into his house and kind of like has like the crazy story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's essentially the 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 short story. Like it's about that guy. Um, Interesting. So this okay. is like an expanded universe of the boogeyman. Um, if you don't know, the boogeyman follows this family who has recently experienced a loss, and the uh the grief is kind of put together as like a, a boogeyman for lack of a better term, and it comes after them and and their family. And it's all about them trying to work together to figure out what this is and how they defeat it. Um, There is a nice little payoff at the end. I won't give it away, but if fans of the book, they do play a little bit of a homage to the ending of the story, which was kind of fun. Oh, good. Um, I liked it. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was like excellent, but it was a like fun movie to just like put on in the afternoon and watch. I don't know. What did you think? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it, you know, for me, I I thought it was going to be more of just like a f- sort of fun thing that's in the background, you know. Um, but I I actually found myself really enthralled by it. Good. And, um, I I thought it was wonderful. They they did a great job. Yeah. So that's my next one. What about you? Lovely. My next one is a uh, it's a limited series. It's from BBC, but it's on Netflix. It's called Bodies. Um, have you watched this yet? I can't. <laughs> I tried. Uh, uh, it, it it really got to me, and I didn't want to watch more. So yeah. I'm glad. That, and I've heard a lot of people say really good things about it. I couldn't do it. I just I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. So like, look. Um, uh, you know, in general, I like a lot of stuff from the BBC. Um, because I just think they do a good job with shows. Whatever. Like, I mean, if I were back in America, I'd be watching fucking masterpiece theater. You know what I mean? So like, I like that kind of stuff. I just want to point that out. And people should know that by now if you've listened to the show for a little while. Anywho, oftentimes with BBC shows, what will happen or like shows that are kind of like this, like you'll get into it and like it starts off interesting and then it will be like six episodes in the middle about bullshit, about yeah. like lingering here and oh it's 2023 let's put in a gay love story and this and like i just it's dumb and like and i say that last part because like the 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 injection of like the 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 gay love story in bodies honestly it's so trite it's so trite and i was just like like you just like you just kind of had to put this in there you feel like don't you you know what i mean like that's (laughs) it's not how this should work dudes um I, i don't know it's it's a it's a compelling story itself. Like like what it is is there are um there's like three time times that you're working with here. Like it bounces back and forth between the past and the future and maybe the present. We don't really know. And so it's like back in like um eighteen it was some in eighteen ninety in nineteen forty one and in twenty twenty three. And in each of these different years, the same murder I put that in quotes happens. And a detective with the police in London 
are trying to figure it out. And so like mm-hmm. each of these three different detectives across time are trying to figure out the same crime or what the hell's going on. So like it I mean like at, at, on its face, you know, prima facie, like it's 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 interesting. That, that that sounds compelling. But like I said, you just get lost in the middle with just bullshit going on and just it lasts for so long. This show, how many episodes was it? It was let me see here. 1 2 it was 8 episodes. This could have been two episodes. I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> two episodes, easy. The first one, maybe the first one's like two hours and the second one's two hours. I would be fine with that. It did not need eight hours for this fucking story. It just didn't. So, I mean, look, I, I don't know. I, if, if you're already watching it, I would just say keep going. That's what I did. I was like, oh, I'm so far into this. I just have to fucking finish now. But like, if you haven't started, I would say don't. <laughs> um yeah i struggle sometimes with bbc shows because i i, I get i get what like what you're saying like everything's yeah. just like played out like a little too long some yeah. of them like uh I'm trying to think i can't think of anything right off the top of my head but like some of them deserve like the amount of time that they take to tell yeah, the story course. and then some of them you're just like dude just get to it already. Enough. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> man. My fucking God. All right. Well, bodies, it, it is not. <laughs> so. You know, so skip that and just watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. You'll have a better time. Oh, yes. Um, how are we going to get that on the show somehow? Oh, so <laughs> soon we need to because I love that movie. Um, so the last one that we both watched uh, in in some weird twist of fate, because I never would have thought Maddie would turn on a movie called this. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Slother House. Fuck yeah. um, this is all about a college girl who wants some clout online. So she buys a sloth. Uh, little does she know that this sloth is on a uh, one track mind for revenge. <laughs> Um, what did you think about this? And I'll tell you what I, what my thoughts were. Uh, so I, um, I, I got it. Uh, I rented it. Um, did you, did you have to rent it for you? It, it's on Hulu. So oh, you don't gotcha. get Hulu okay. there. Yeah, but, yeah. Unfortunately we don't. Um, and like sometimes Hulu stuff will come to one of the things that I get, but not all the time. Anyways, I, I had to rent it and I rented it. Um, uh, my friend Emer had come over and, um, was like, Oh, have you seen the movie about, about the sloth? And I was like, Oh, you know, I've seen a poster for it. But like I, I haven't looked into it, and they were like, "We have to watch this movie." So we rented it. Um, I watched it, and I was excited for it. Like we, we watched the beginning together, and then we had to go out for a party. Um, but the 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 initial part of the movie is great. Like I yeah. loved the opening sequence is so so good. I'm not gonna let's not spoil anything, of course, for people. Um, but great opening sequence. I was really excited about that. And the then puppet it got, work looks great <laughs> for real. And then it got into the movie, and like if I'm being honest, by the end of it, I just found it middling. Like I, I there were parts that were funny, and there were parts that were you know good, and it just it just didn't. It just didn't keep me like like I thought that it would, and and I I think what was weird about it is like the start of it was so good for me that I was kind of surprised that it just it did kind of fall a little bit flat in in like the meat of what it was doing. Um, all that being said, I'm I'm being harsh because I fucking have a horror podcast where we talk about movies, so that's what I fucking do. Um, like would I watch it again? I don't know, not really. But like, did I have fun watching it? Yeah, sure. I just you know I just also I'm not like oh crazy you know. Yeah, um, I'm 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 in kind of the same bucket as you. Yeah. I thought that like when I first saw the puppet, I was like, oh, that kind of looks good, actually. Like it's yeah, it's it, it, and then but there are so many weird editing choices in the movie where 
characters because it takes place in like a sorority house yeah and so there's a bunch of characters and there's like some editing choices where you see a lot of people just get killed off screen yeah and you're just like wait what and then like the girls don't ever take it seriously that people are missing and i just i don't know for i know i knew i listen i know the movie is called slother house i know i'm not supposed to take it that seriously but (laughs) when you give me when you give me a glimmer of hope with that first like i don't know 20 minutes or so i look forward to like getting more of the same and i felt like kind of like you where it just kind of the quality fell off so quick that i just by the end of it i was like can this just be done now like you know what i mean no I, i i felt the same way and like you know, I I, it, I I was excited about it in the same way that I was excited about seeing Megan in a way, mm-hmm. in like in like the sense that like Megan was so ridiculous, yeah. And I knew and I knew that this one was it it should be incredibly ridiculous. And I think that honestly, maybe like part of it is that they just didn't get ridiculous enough with it. Yeah, maybe 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 they didn't like actually believe that they could make it happen more. But like you said, the puppet work was great. There are some parts of it that were really good. It just sort of gets lost in itself. I feel like. Yeah, agreed. All right, so that will do it for what you've been watching, bitch. Maddie brought us Wolf on demand, not with Jack Nicholson, but the other one. (laughs) George George Uh, McKay. (laughs) The Revenant um, from 2015, Bodies on the BBC, and then Slother House, which is currently either on Hulu or you can rent it on on demand. And Andrew also brought us Slother House, uh, which he watched on Hulu. Uh, Also on Max, he brought us Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, uh, the House in, be- in Between, Part 2. <coughs> Pardon me, my voice is crazy today. The House in Between, Part 2, you rented that. And The Boogeyman, which is on Hulu. So folks, thanks for sticking with us for What You've Been Watching, Bitch. Get ready for our first film of the episode, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like The Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. I'm just a sweet transvestite. See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. A different set of jaws. Rated R. Oh, fantasy, free me. It's time for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maddie, tell us all about it. A different set of jaws. Sweethearts Brad and Janet, stuck with a flat tire during a storm, discover the eerie mansion of Dr. Frank N. Furter, a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a a rocking biker and a creepy butler. Through through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frank N. Furter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. The Rocky Horror Picture Show was directed by Jim Sharman, written also by Jim Sharman and the legendary Richard O'Brien, who had the original idea for the whole thing to begin with. Uh, it was produced by Michael White Productions, and it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Brad was played by Barry Bostwick, Janet by Susan Sarandon, Magenta by Patricia Quinn, Riff Raff by Richard O'Brien once again, Columbia by Little Nell Campbell, Dr. Frank N. Furter, played by the one, the only, Tim Curry, Eddie played by Meatloaf, rest in peace, Rocky played by Peter Hinwood, Dr. Scott played by Jonathan Adams, and criminologist, or as we call him, Crim, by Charles Gray. Uh, This film is rated R. It's 100 minutes long. Uh, It was made in the UK. 
It was released August 14th of 1975, filmed at Oakley Court in England. Uh, the budget here was $1.4 million, brought in a whopping $226 fucking million. Um, obviously, not a first watch for either of us. So, Andrew, tell me about your thoughts on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Not a first-time watch, but I will say since I was probably... God, when did I first see this? Probably, I probably saw this when I was like 12 or 13 for the first oh, time. Oh, no way. I love it. Um, I don't think since that watch, I've actually ever watched it without being on some sort of substance. So this was, <laughs> this was an interesting one because I watched it stone cold sober. Uh, yeah. And it, there's, there's a lot of things that I picked up on it watching it not in like... Because this movie is uniquely positioned as like a party movie like yeah, you go sure. into it like with a big crowd everyone has like their like the little things that they say at the screen you throw yeah. things da, 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 da. and so like watching it with just like to watch it and to critique it um i th- i've I found it was like a completely different experience sure um, sure which which was really fun um i think like I thought I thought about this a lot and I was like, God, what did 1975 audiences like think of this? Because time. this was this must have been blowing people's minds that something like this would be on yeah. on on the big screen. Not only for like the you know, like the transvestite of it all, and I'm gonna use that word because that's the word that they use. Exactly. Right. Um, but uh, it, just like all of the shit that happens in this movie, the dancing, the time warp, like um, I distinctly think of one scene where they're coming up the elevator and Dr. Frankenfurter is just standing there and like his pearls and the green Step. smock and like, Step. Step. <laughs> and I'm just like, what did people, this must have like fucking mind boggled people. For like, sure. in without, without a doubt. Um, uniquely, like I, I do think that, um, the movie maybe gets a little slow towards the end for me. I think that okay. the balance, the the balance of like really fun songs and then like the more serious songs, I think that um, the balance is a little bit off because by the sure. end you, you've been through so much fun that the end, when you really think about what they're singing about and like what it actually means for the character, yeah. I feel like, I don't know. It just, um, I think that the 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 emotional weight of the end is kind of lost because you've been through so much fun to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but that's like my really like one of my only critiques. I think that everyone that's in this does a, a fantastic job, including Tim Curry, including uh, every everyone. Everyone does their job. Even fucking Barry Bostwick. But I I I kind of forgot that that was him. And so yeah, when I think sure. of like what he went on to do, I'm just like, wow, that's, that's I crazy know. that that's him. Um, I think that everyone does their job here. I think it's like wacky to like, I don't know how you come up with this. Like, that's all I'll yeah, say is like, right. it is just it, the idea of this movie is so wackadoodle, but it works because they, everyone takes it seriously, Bingo. but also camps it up when they need to. Yeah. And, um, I can't think of a bad, um, uh, anyone that was bad in this. I think, you know, Rocky, he's obviously cast for his looks. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> it is funny. Um, I noticed this time around, I don't know, uh, towards the end, there's a, where they're all in, in drag and they're doing kind of like a, you know, kick, touch, kick, touch. The floor show. Yeah. Um, he's not the strongest in no. that. Yeah, right, <laughs> so, right, yeah. 
um it's just funny watching him try to walk in those heels because everyone else even barry bostwick is very comfortable in those heels and he's just clomping around that stage it's just really funny that i never noticed before um i had to remind myself what eddie played in this because i think as a kid you kind of just remember eddie as being the crazy biker guy and you don't really put together that he plays a bigger role in the movie than you initially think. Yeah. Um, because he's only in the, that one scene, but he's actually the inspiration and half the brain of Rocky. So yeah. it's interesting to think about. Um, overall, I have a really hard, I have a really fun time watching this movie. Like I said, I think just the balance of the emotional versus like the campy fun is a little off towards the end, but I still love it. I mean, yeah. where would we be? Where would we be as a culture Ugh. without Rocky Horror Picture Show? You know what I mean? I I totally agree. I mean, I I think where I think where would I be as a person without it? And like, I mean, there, there, there's not a, I mean, I get emotional a lot. I know I was about to say, I don't get emotional very often. I'm like, you fucking liar. You (laughs) You liar. Um, you liar, you idiot. You're never going to be good enough. Anyways. Um, Rocky horror has a very, very special place in my life. And, uh, it wasn't too long after my dad died that, um, my, one of my best friends in the world, Lizzie, who I've known for a very, very fucking long time, um, she took me to go see it for the first time. And there was, uh, this, this old shitty cinema, um, in Maryville, Indiana, which is right next to Howard, Indiana, um, which, which is where I grew up. And, uh, it was called the Crossroads Cinema. And I mean, this place was garbage, right? Like I, <laughs> but but I, I do remember, I have like memories of, in childhood of going to see, um, uh, Fievel. What's the Fievel movie? Fievel Goes West. Five, no, what's, what's the first one? Fievel's Great Adventure? Something or? like that. I, I can't remember. Whatever whatever the first Fievel movie was, I remember like seeing that there. That's like a, a, an early childhood memory that I have. No, it, anyways. It's Fievel Goes West and then Fievel Down Under or something like that. No, but there, right? there's, a, there's a first one though first. Anywho, um, I went to go see Rocky Horror with Lizzie and like she told me what it was going to be like and like I had some ideas and like she came, I remember she came over one day and she had, she had the audience participation book and the reason why why Lizzie went is because her dad would take her, and um, and if, if eventually, like even when we were very young, Lizzie auditioned to be part of the cast. Now, what mm. do I mean? What do I mean by that? If you've never gone to see Rocky Horror before, number one, you're a virgin. Just take that. Just you, you have to understand that. Um, but when you go to see the 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 movie in a theater, most commonly it will be with what's called a shadow cast. And the shadow cast will perform, and I put that in air quotes, they will perform the movie in front of the screen. So like they'll mouth along, they'll do crazy things, they've got costumes, they do this, they do that, there you go, right? And so Lizzie, I mean, God, she was like 12 years old, and she auditioned to be Columbia. (laughs) And so she (laughs) fucking got it. And like she did it every single weekend, every Saturday at midnight, she was at the crossroads, and I would go for a lot of those. Um, and so she brought me into it and taught me all about it. And like, you know, I would go to the crossroads and because it wasn't in Hobart, I didn't know any of those other people. Right. And so like, I met all these older people who would hang out there and like, we would hang out with them and like, just hang out like and like, you know, be like weird, not adults hanging out with adults and like talking about adult stuff and, you know, just like being crazy and being weird, but also like watching the show and, you know, for Lizzie being in the show and it was a fucking blast. It was a blast. And like, when I look back at it, like, you know, I mean, God, my dad had just died. 
I'm a fucking, you know, overweight 15 year old in Hobart, Indiana. Like I have no idea what is going on in my life. I have no idea at all. And then this, you know, wonderful movie comes along and Lizzie takes me to it. And it's this thing that helps me, you know, and it helps me like understand more about who I am. And like, it's dumb because this is a movie about a fucking like mad scientist from space. Like that's yeah, alien. It's about that's, aliens, <laughs> right? That, that's that's not who I am. But what the show does is it allows people to explore sexuality for maybe the first time, and that's what it did for me. Like you know, I remember like watching it, and like I mean, I'm not attracted to him now at all. But like Rocky was like like you just said, he was cast because he had this amazing body. Like that's why he's in there. And also because Things like and also, awoken. Yeah. And also because like Peter Hinwood's kind of a weirdo. And like he did a great job. And like that was like something for me to to reckon with. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like and to have fun and to perform and to yell and shout and like be in my body in front of people and like also go around all these people. Because if you've never been around a Rocky cast before, Rocky casts are like the best people in the world. They're so sweet, they're so kind, they're so loving. And I could go around them and they weren't judging me or calling me names or doing anything and except just being so kind god i'm getting emotional now sorry um but it really means so much to me um and not just that stuff but also because i love the movie tim curry i mean i i there i can't th- nobody else could have played frank nobody and the way that he did it the way that he shows up on screen from the very second he steps on is absolutely amazing it's one of the most, and I really mean, I, I'll put this up against any Oscar winner, any drama, anything, any day. He embodies that role to a fucking T and owns every single piece of it. Every single piece yeah. of it. It's, 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 a pretty, it's, it's a pretty brave thing to do in 1970. What was Without it? Probably, probably 1973, if we're being honest, like when it would actually filmed. But And, and, and it's, bra- it's brave with all of them. I mean, for Barry Boswick, for God's sake, getting down to his skivvies and like doing this and doing it in heels in 1975. Yeah. Or Susan Sarandon. She had, she had a career outside of this. And she was probably like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this might sink everything. <laughs> but she still did it. And then you got Meatloaf, that, you know, who was a very popular musician at the time, obviously. Rest in peace now. But, like, he came in. And everyone just gives it for it. And it's incredible. Just really incredible stuff. I can't say enough good shit about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Do you have a favorite number? Mm. Um, yes. Favorite number for me would be um, There's a Light. Um, so this is oh the God, one. I have a funny story about this one. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So this is the one where, um, you know, Brad and Janet, their car breaks down and they have to leave the car to go to the castle on the side of the road because there just happens to be one in Denton. Um, and so they get out and they take the newspaper and put it over their heads and walk through the rain to the castle. And there's just something about that song that is incredible. I mean, it's it's an ensemble song, first off, with with some principal singing. Um, but the 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 part that really gets me is Richard O'Brien when Riff Raff, obviously, when it when it goes to Riff Raff's part and he's up in like the turret of the castle and he's looking out and he's singing down. There's something like I don't I don't know why exactly, but the impact emotionally of it is incredible for me. Nearly every time, I love seeing that get performed. Um, and then you know, towards the end of the film, I really love, of course, "Don't Dream It, Be It," and like that's what it all comes down to in the end. And it's such a beautiful song at the end. It's lyrical. It's gorgeous. Tim Curry, his performance does such a great job with it. 
and it's dreamy and there's just something so so nice so those would be my two what about you so funny really quick funny story about there's a light um so we used to do this thing at my high school called mock rock have you ever have you heard of what this like what the idea of this is is it like a it's like a a lip-syncing kind of thing yeah so it's like a lip-syncing competition basically and that's that's um, actually fun yeah, and so people would submit their musicals, and I actually was very famously choreographed with the Spice Girls number for all of my little girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gay though. No, just um. Anyway, um, my 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 very best friend in high school, Rachel, uh, her and an older senior named Nicole did um they well, and I forget who the guy was. I I just remember them too because I yeah. they were my friends, but um. They did. There's a light, and it was so funny because oh, fun. um, the Nicole and her partner, who was playing the Barry Boswick part, would come. They came up the aisle with like a flashlight, and they were like shining on the yes. stage, like where the and and my friend Rachel was hiding behind. I forget what she was hiding behind, but anytime that the riffraff part would start, she would come out with a giant spotlight under her face and just start <laughs> singing that part <laughs> and. I got to tell you, Misek, Michigan was not ready for Rocky Horror Picture yes. because everyone was like looking around like, what the fuck is this? That's <laughs> because, so good. Because everyone else is doing like fucking, you know, Spice Girls or doing Backstreet Boys or doing like all the, you know, this stuff. And then, of course, my weirdo friends come out and do something from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was so funny. And it's not even oh like God. the popular one. It's not like the time warp. You know what I mean? So um, that one does hold a, a good uh, one for me. I think two for me. I really like the opening song. I don't actually remember what it's the name of the song is, but uh, you mean science fiction double feature? No, no, no. Uh, when they're getting when they're at the reception and they're oh, singing uh, to each other, that's called "Damn It, Janet." I just I that that it's, one it's, just it's it's not only like a good song, but it cracks me up because of yeah. its side characters and how they're just like Janet. <laughs> 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 it it sets the mood for like the whole show. So like yeah. that's a really good one for me. And then I love Touch It, Touch It, Touch Me. Like oh, that's just, so good. It just it's it's so funny. It's a it's not only is like a funny number, but Susan Sarandon and her finally like accepting her sexuality and just like yes. letting it go and letting it be a freak flag fly. If you you know for lack of a better yeah. term, it's 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 really cool. I I also like the ones that you mentioned too. But like, is there really is there really a bad song? I mean, yeah, I get the it. only the only one that I like tend to forget and not not I, I don't skip over it but i skip over it in my brain is uh the dinner party song when they're singing oh, about eddie um, yeah 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 uh which is it's a good song but i i get i get why you would like it's 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 the one that is kind of forgettable in the end yeah yeah um like, some things that i noticed this time around watching it um i i still think the best line read of the whole movie is where <laughs> riffraff and <laughs> when he answers the door and he goes hello <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um and then um i i was wondering this time around i wonder if you remember correctly another tim curry movie that came out about 10 years after this clue which is one of my one of my favorite movies of all time the opening of that sees our miss scarlet and professor plum in a very similar situation as brad and janet when they're driving down the road and their car breaks down oh, it's interesting even, it's even lit the same like where the the inside of the car is lit from down under it's got a lot of the same beats and i was like are they trying to play homage to rocky horror 
in that? Maybe or is it just did. a coincidence? But I've never thought about that, but that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and they're, But they both have Tim Curry, so it, I couldn't help but think that's got to be some sort of nod to that. I'm, I'm into that. Uh, um, and then some other things that I just noticed this time around, uh, the overtness of <laughs> of the way that they code um uh brad yeah it's just so funny and i kind of never i mean i picked up on it of course because that's you know he basically sleeps with dr frankenverter yeah. but um the it's from the very beginning that you see like his like hesitation towards janet and like you're like i've got oh, some coding like um the other thing that i noticed this time around is when um dr frankenverter is bringing a rocky to life the liquid in his uh containment unit is rainbow which yes. I had never yeah. really put together yeah. before. Um, there's just like little things like that. Like I think watching it sober, just I picked up on more, <laughs> which yeah, was kind I of fun. Um, and I, I just thought that this time around, it was just, um, I think like when you watch this movie, you, you're you usually, like I said, under some sort of substance and you usually get like an hour and 10 minutes in and then you're kind of like, you, you, you're either get involved with the party or you get involved with like what's going on yeah, around sure. you and you kind of forget like the last like i don't know 20 30 minutes and that's like where the emotional stuff is and without a doubt i think that people need to kind of reappraise the ending of this movie because i i will say still don't quite understand it but i understand it better yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense well i mean I, I think you make a really good point like uh, i mean I, I i have seen this movie many many times sober and so like i've 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 seen it many many times there you go i, I don't know how many times i've seen this film but it's it's got to be in the 200s i would say somewhere in there and so like for me, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of like the little details and stuff. And, and like, I, I think that it's an important thing to tell people, which is like, if you've never watched Rocky Horror sober before, you really should. Like, there's so much that you're going to catch and it's wonderful stuff. Um, and, you know, if, if you've never gone to the show before, then you have an experience what are called uh, AP lines or audience participation. Um, and a little bit about how that started. So the film developed a cult following in 1976 at the Waverly Theater in New York, uh, where they had a standardized ritual. And according to uh, this guy named Hoberman, who uh, wrote Midnight Movies, it was after five months into the film's midnight run when lines began to be shouted by the audience. Louis Ferres Jr., a normally quiet teacher, upon seeing the character Janet place a newspaper over her head to protect herself from rain, yelled, Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. Originally, <laughs> Louis and the other Rocky Horror pioneers, including Amy Lazarus, Teresa uh, Krakowskis, and Bill O'Brien, they did this to entertain each other, each week trying to come up with something new to make each other laugh. That caught on with the other theater goers and thus began the self-proclaimed counterpoint dialogue or AP lines, which became a standard practice and they got repeated nearly verbatim at every screening. Um, and those are, they're so much fun. Like once you get to know them and like do them with people, like it's, you feel like you're in the club. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a good time. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, a couple of line reads too, that this time around that I thought were really funny is, uh, when Janet, she goes, if only we were amongst friends or sane people <laughs> or sane <laughs> persons. Um, also I the one that I had never really like picked up on that I thought was funny this time around was when Riff Raff goes, you know, this earth thing, I mean, man, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was funny. Um, uh, I, I, I think that nobody, I, I mean, I get what you're saying about Tim Curry, 
but I do think that like nobody gets overshadowed in the movie. Like nobody. everyone gets nobody. everyone gets like their time to like have like fun. Even Agreed. like our straight lace, even our straight lace characters, like with Janet and Brad, still I think Janet has some of the funniest lines in the movie. Totally. But, um, uh, and then you know, Barry Bostwick having to get down to his underwear. I just I was like, God, that had to be so uncomfortable for him, but he sells it. So and like I said earlier, when he's in those heels at the end, he's selling it, man. So got to give him credit where credit is due. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I don't know what else to say. It's Rocky Horror Picture Show. You haven't seen it. Where you been? It's well, been out since 1975. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Andrew. So I mentioned Lizzie earlier, one of my oldest best friends, and she was in the cast for over 10 years. And it's such a unique like experience that I asked her just to write a little bit about what that experience was for her and, and what it meant cool. to her. And so I'm going to read a little bit about what she wrote. So here it is. And Lizzie, thank you very much for, for doing this. Um, so uh, she says that my dad and my uncle were in a Rocky cast when I was a kid. All I really knew was that they went to a movie on Saturday nights where people dressed up like the characters and yelled dialogue and threw things. I watched Rocky for the first time on Halloween night when I was 11 years old. It was being shown on Fox, and they spliced scenes of a cast performing as part of it. My dad sat and watched it with me. I loved the movie immediately and immensely. I'd never seen anything like it. Still haven't, really. We taped that Halloween showing, and I watched it dozens of times. And the first time that I went to a screening of Rocky, I was in seventh grade. So I was maybe 12 or 13. It was Easter weekend, and I was still attending my little parochial school. And I had to go to church the next morning. I'll never forget the experience. The difference in how I felt at Rocky and at church was intense. Rocky gave me what religion and church were supposed to provide, but never had. The feeling that I belonged somewhere. I auditioned sometime in early 1997 when I was 14. So she was 14 when she started. Uh, the photos from my first performance are from March 1997. And I auditioned for Columbia and made it with another girl named Allison. And we alternated on the weekends. Not to be an old, but it was a real pain in the ass to make a Rocky costume back then. I spent all of my Christmas money on my Columbia costume. You had to go to every craft store in the area to find enough sequins, and it was hours of sewing and gluing and spray painting. I was just a kid, hanging out with these cool older people in their late teens and 20s, working on costumes and watching weird movies. That's why I wanted to be in the cast. They all seemed so cool. Rocky was probably the only place that I felt happy at that age. The cast members were so kind to me. I have particularly fond memories of Ed Lipinski, who would sit and talk to me on the phone about absolutely nothing whenever I called. And I was kind of annoying, so I called a lot. <laughs> uh, I loved rehearsal. We would often get together on Friday at the theater and run through the movie. We would go to other midnight movies. The very first time I saw Purple Rain was because my fellow Columbia took me. We also went to the Bristol Renaissance Fair one year. I would drag my high school friends, including my now husband. And also, Rocky is where I met the first big love of my life, Andy. Now, there were some not great memories in this too. Again, I started attending Rocky at 12 or 13 and joined the cast at 14. And even though my dad was with me, there was still plenty of very adult activities around me. The cast members were people in their 20s, having wild, to my 14-year-old eyes, parties and hooking up with one another. Rocky was also where I met the man who sexually assaulted me. He was a trusted family friend. I'm going to start crying now. Um, I was 14 and he was 23. It was my first sexual experience. He groomed me and took advantage of the trust that was placed in him. And I only told one of my fellow cast members and I certainly never told my parents. The experience changed me in ways that I am still unpacking over 20 years later. Rocky Horror also gave me a flair for dramatics. 
I don't think there's, there's a single aspect of who I am that wasn't shaped by Rocky. It's where I first learned about and experienced queerness. It's where I first kissed a girl and realized that I was bi. It was the place where I first experienced belonging. I had a strange band of weirdos who loved me and cared for me and treated me like a little sister and a friend. I never had anything like that in my tiny little Lutheran school. I had one friend, one. Rocky shaped my horror, my, t- my, my humor, my tolerance, my love of B-movies, my taste in music. The list goes on and on. Rocky also caused me to grow up way too soon. Did those people love me? Undoubtedly. Was it the first time I felt accepted? Absolutely. And make no mistake, that acceptance in those difficult early teen years probably saved my life. However, should I have been seeing so many of them naked and hearing about their van orgies? Eh, probably not. I was still <laughs> incredibly young and naive when I started going. I still wore t-shirts under my tank tops in seventh grade. A year later, I was dancing on stage in thigh highs and garters. I attracted attention I was not ready for. And Rocky Horror deserves to be celebrated. The movie is many things, but I truly believe it is, more than anything, one of our best examples of queer joy. The Transylvanians are living their best lives for every goddamn second of that movie. They're all horned up and bizarre, and they absolutely revel in it. No one is apologizing for loving what they love. No one is hung up on gender roles. They're just being. And that's something I'm glad I was exposed to. I needed it. I was never the good Christian girl I was supposed to be. I have always been, and always will be, a wild and an untamed thing. How about that, huh? That's cool. That's nice. Thank you so much for sharing, Lizzie. Lizzie, thank you very much for that. Um, w- One thing in my notes, I'm hoping that you will help me understand because I, sure. I noticed it this time around and I'm not sure if I'm picking too much up on it or okay. like what, but maybe you can shine some light. But like, so the end with the floor show, there okay. are a lot of references to the Titanic. Um, including a Titanic uh, life preserver. Oh, yeah. And there are deck chairs where there should be theater chairs. And all of the people are kind of dressed like they would be on the Titanic. Is there anything to that? Or am I just picking too much up on it? Uh, God, Andrew, I think I may be used to know the answer to this, but I okay. don't know. I mean, th- I would say certainly there, there was definitely some intention behind why. I just honestly cannot remember. Well, if any of you that are out there in social media <laughs> land want to weigh in, I would love to know why the random references to the Titanic, because we'd never get that up until that point. And then all of a sudden we're watching people watch a show on the Titanic. But um, it's interesting. Um, okay, Maddie, uh, here at Friday the 13th Horror Podcast, we judge on a seven stripe scales for the seven stripes of the gay old rainbow. What do you give Rocky Horror Picture Show and what are your final thoughts? Uh, I give it a six and a half, which is one of the highest scores of ever given and i say that this film was fundamental in my own becoming and the becoming of so many others in a weird world of confusing sexual awakenings this movie has been a safe and fucking fun space for people to explore and unfold i love this film with all my heart i'm gonna give it a six and i said i mean where would we be without rocky horror i think i do have some ebbs and waves when it comes to the structure of the actual movie uh but i still love watching it again and again and again. <laughs> so. so, folks, that does it for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We'll take a break here and come back with our second film of the episode, Stage Fright. All of life's a song to sing. So sing with all your heart. I have to get dressed. We can't do this now. <laughs> Hi. 
Welcome to Limelight. I think about mom a lot. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. You actually want to compete with those theater geeks? Those kids aren't normal, Ken. Artie will be announcing this summer's Limelight production. Passing of the opera! Your mother's role. She would be proud. What is at the heart of haunting? A love story about... It's about covering. Covering up who you really are. There has been an accident. Maybe there's somebody out there that really doesn't want him to put on this play. Cam, do you think this is connected to your mom? Isn't it wrong to sing and dance when someone just died? Camilla, where are you? There's a killer in the theater! Don't be nervous. You're going to be fine out there. You just have a little stage fright. Andrew, tell us all about stage fright. Sing your heart out. A snobby musical theater camp is terrorized by a bloodthirsty killer who hates musical theater but loves metal music. (laughs) Directed by Jerome Sable, written by Jerome Sable. Production company and distribution was handled by Serendipity Point Films, XYZ Films, and Citizen Jones slash Entertainment One. Camilla is played by Allie McDonald. Kylie is played by Minnie Driver. Roger is played by Meatloaf. Again, second movie in a row with Meatloaf. Uh, Buddy is played by Douglas Smith. Joel is played by Kent Nolan. And Artie is played by Brandon Uranowitz. Uh, and a little, special little surprise that I'd never seen until this uh, watch was the entertainment producer at the, or the entertainment reporter at the end is played by Dan Levy. Um, this, as, as we see it now, it is currently not rated. It came out on March 10th of 2014, I believe direct to streaming. I think uh, so, yeah. It was, 88 minutes long uh, locations included North Bay, Ontario in Canada. Uh, and it was uh, obviously made in Canada. Thus the Dan Levy of it all, because if you forget before Shit's Creek, he was a very popular um, host on Canada's Canada. Sorry. It's Canada's. Okay. I call it Canada's MTV, um, which people didn't know. Um, so this is obviously a musical. Um, like I said, it goes right along with our theme. Maddie, had you seen this before? And what are your initial thoughts? I did not see it before. I, I think I, I remember you actually telling me about it once and I uh, like had it in my brain to watch and then I just never got around to it. Anyways, was a first time watch for me. Um, you know, look, there's a lot of good things about this about this film and there are things that I, I'm not a, a huge fan of. Um, which I was kind of surprised about because like, this is one that should hit me. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's about a theater camp. It's about musicals and it's about horror. Like it's got all the right stuff for me. Um, but you know, there's the good stuff I think does outweigh the stuff that I'm not so much of a fan of. I I think first off, just like the cast, like you've got Minnie driver, um, who I love Minnie driver. Like she's just so good. And and meatloaf like it's fucking meatloaf and you know one of the things that that was really lovely about this too is like you know 
uh, a meatloaf died uh, last year, right? 2022. I think Not so. Tw- yeah. 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 It was last year. And like, look, Meatloaf had a lot of problems, man. Like Meatloaf was not in great shape. Lots of stuff were bad. One of the things that I wrote down here is like, honestly, he was looking good. Like he was looking good here. He looked healthy. Like Meatloaf was in control here. And I I really like it was it was really touching to see that, to be honest, because I'm I'm still sad about Meatloaf being gone. Um, I think that the the main girl, Allie McDonald, is really good as as Camilla. Um, I think Douglas Smith, um, God, he's so cute too. He's real cutie. Um, <laughs> as Buddy, uh, was 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 pretty good. There are just some things that for me like don't make a whole lot of sense. Like um the the like the the way that I mean like just to get to the very end here, like the 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 kill so Andrew, tell us about the story of this. Give, give us give us the rundown. So basically the the core of the story is about Camilla and Buddy. Their mother was an aspiring Broadway singer and she's killed on opening night of Phantom of basically Phantom of the Opera, but they think they call the it haunting Phantom of the, the Opera, the haunting of the opera. Yeah. <laughs> um, and th- it's funny because there are a lot of like those little, I don't know if you ever saw it, but like in the background, there's like La producer Oblés or something. Yeah. Like right. Right. right <laughs> like yeah. Ar- Arkansas exclamation point. Like yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, but the essentially she's killed on opening night of what's supposed to be her like debut like breakout role and then it cuts to 10 years later where they have been adopted by the producer of that show and he raises them as his own children at a theater camp where they are cooks and essentially um they announce that the 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 show of the year is going to be haunting of the opera and she wants to audition so she does and gets and kind of gets the part we'll get into that whole back and forth in a little yeah. bit but um And it's basically that kind of how it all plays out. And then people start to die um, and you're not really sure why. And then it's revealed at the end. It's a whole like revenge plot slash uh, exposure of like what really happened 10 years ago. Um, That's kind of the the basic of it all. Yeah. And so at, at the end of it, spoiler alert, the brother is the one that did it. Right. And 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 we learn more about how Meatloaf's character, Roger, like actually was the one that killed their mother back in the day. Because it turns out that she was cheating on him, and he didn't like that, of course. Cheating um, on him with an entertainment re- re- right, reporter. Right. Good point, good point. So, you know, all these things happen, and, and this is where the story ends up now. I think for me, like, the part of the problem for me was just, like, the structure of the musical itself. Like, the way that, like, the way that the killer ends up singing is just not for me. It's just not. And, like, as soon as I hear him say, like, shut your fucking face, I was like, oh, no, I'm already cringing at you. And I didn't really i mean i get in the story why they chose metal for him it's just so different from musicals it makes total sense it's just that like the the voice doesn't really work for me there and like i also get i also get like the notion that of course like they're gonna have to hide who the person is because like obviously you don't want to give it away but looking at douglas smith playing buddy that voice and him they don't match up for me at all. <laughs> so like that's just something that like kind of drove me nuts throughout throughout the movie. Um but like the the great parts of this movie are just like the camp itself. So like I I was both a theater camper and a camp counselor. So I have been in a place like that before and it's wild and fucking wacky and weird. And um and it's fun and like like the the opening songs about like you know like the the gay like the 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 um the quote unquote straight kid singing how he's not gay. 
And then like the stage manager kid coming in and talking about how, yeah, I'm, I actually am gay. I yeah. that, <laughs> like that, that stuff is just hilarious. And all the girls, like the, all of those parts are so campy and fun. Um, like you can't help but love it. And you can't help but like love these little, these little characters that are in there where those people who seem like such like small roles, they really give it their all. And the I mean, girl, the girl, the girl with the lisp is oh hilarious in this movie. <laughs> She's so good. Or the other girl that looks like Liza Minnelli. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And like these, like, listen, these archetypes exist. Trust me. Um, so like, it's it's a charming movie. It really is. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot charming about it. There's some stuff that I don't like about it, but I'm not, I'm not even going to be that picky about it. To be honest with you, like, this is a movie that is in the end fun to watch. The cast is really good. Dan Levy is a total surprise in this. And you're like, oh, isn't that just fun to see him way back in 2014? Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw this when it first came out and immediately needed to own it because um, <laughs> I, I just I, this. Listen, when it, things like musicals and horror come together, there's just something that's in it for me you know what i mean like it's inherently like for me anna and the apocalypse hello exactly um but um i was sold by this movie by the opening number alone which the opening number i i think is like seven minutes long like it's It's pretty long yeah um but there are so many little references in there i love when the little kid is like i you know i got beat up a thousand times for singing sondheim rhymes and then the other kid is like oh that your bill your bullies sound really bad and he's like they're not bullies that's my dad (laughs) (laughs) and the way that those those two kids get off the bus and they're like is that you it's been a year and like i don't know it's just like there's so many little there's so many little parts in that opening number that you get like you get super hyped in that like opening number like what you were talking about where he's like i'm gay i'm gay but not in that way and the movie comes on and it goes i'm gay i'm actually gay (laughs) (laughs) um there's just like so many little things in that opening number that i'm like okay i'm i am sold on this i do think that there's a middle where it does get it where the movie slows down a little bit agreed it, it just gets it gets a little bit sloggy in the middle um until we kind of get to opening night and then everything kind of picks back up again um so i will i will give you that and there you know there is a gap in there that i think that they their montage of like getting ready for opening night maybe goes a little too long agreed um but i think that once they get into opening night i think that that all that stuff's fun um and i like that we get the payoff of that one kid saying that he wasn't gay is actually gay and like all the you know <laughs> yeah he gets killed right away but <laughs> but that is what it is um <laughs> I, I do think that the killer at the end is more entertaining because I love all of his like little quips. Like he's like, nailed yeah. it. How's that for a quick change? And like stuff like, you know, like <laughs> so but they, stupid, but, but they don't like give them enough. Like it's not until the end that you start to get these like Freddy Krueger, like cringy line, like type of That's things. Just which it. I think, I think that if they would have like played that up a little bit more, you probably could get behind the killer a little bit more. Well, I, um, I, I think that it's a really great point because like it's I'm glad that you said this. It doesn't happen enough. So when it does happen, you're just like that's that just tonally it doesn't feel right. Like instead, they should have been splicing this in over a longer period, you know? Yeah, agreed. Um, I think that all of the, I don't think that there's a weak song. I think some of the sound mixing in some of the songs is maybe a little bit 
I'd agree. There. Not quite right. But if given the right, I think that if given the right sound mixing, it could be better. Um, I'm talking mostly about like kind of the ones where, you know, she's singing about getting the part. They're singing about being at camp. The killer's singing about killing. Like sure. you know, and they're kind of overlapping it or it kind of works. And then you're like, it kind of doesn't. I don't know. Um, but um, I did notice this time around. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but did you? So if you really pay attention, you kind of understand who the killer is by his weapon right away. Did you notice anything about his weapon? No, tell me more. So at the beginning of the movie, you see them in the kind of the the cook area and okay. opening and they're opening cans. Yeah. His his weapons are sharpened can like tops of cans. Uh oh duh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you kind of know who it is right away, even yeah, though they do true. give you they do give you like two red herrings. They give you the kind of like the quote unquote, like uh, someone that's lusting after Camilla and then um, who's Joel, Joel. Right. And then um, the the janitor is like the other like red herring, um, which you can kind of you kind of know who the killer is. But yeah, of course, but it's not that big of a surprise. But um, I just think that this is you can tell that someone really cares about this uh, you know this kind of like musical theater world because they do get a lot of things right when it comes to like the camp and the camp and the the, the people that are there and the people that run it and all that stuff um the one of the funniest parts for me is when camilla goes to sign up for auditions and it says like you have to write down your bunk number and she kind of just like scribbles (laughs) it (laughs) and he's like what what does that say and she's like 23 <laughs> yeah I, just, I don't know why i thought it was so funny but it's just the way that the actors play off of each other in that moment where i just thought it was really funny um i think that that read the one woman uh i forget who she actually is in the question she's not on our, i don't think she's in our cast list but the the redhead who's kind of like her comp- competition in the movie i think she plays the bitchy character perfectly and i think she should have gotten killed but you know what it will let it be yeah sure um I feel bad for the gay kid that actually finally kisses the stage manager and then immediately gets killed. <laughs> Aw, sweet love. And I also felt bad for the wardrobe girl who was just doing her job and got killed by being basically made into a uh, Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. Pinhead. Um, but overall, I think that this movie's really fun. I think that if you like musicals, you're probably gonna enjoy this movie to a certain aspect. If you're a if you're a horror fan and you're a slasher fan, you're probably gonna like it to a certain yeah. aspect. So kind of slapping those things together, I think, was really smart. Um, you know, I've kind of said some of my things that I think are a little bit lackluster, but you know, for all the things that are a little lackluster, there's a there's a scene like where the little girl is like, <laughs> what does she say? She's like um do we think we should really be dancing and singing when someone just died right i know (laughs) and then you cut back to that girl when she's uh watching the uh, haunting at the opera and her dad's like you what's been going on at camp and she's like don't worry about it we're covering it up (laughs) and also how about the line when when the when Artie is talking about like I'm going to totally transform this musical and do something very very different and what is the japanese art form where your face is covered in white and the kid goes bukkake i know (laughs) (laughs) so stupid um uh and uh you know i can't say enough good stuff about the opening number i think it's really strong um if you've not seen this what this uh filmmaker put together before you can look it up on youtube i forget the perfect name of it it's like the something at camp something and it's all about these boy scouts that are sitting around a campfire and 
that something happens and it's all it's it's all a big oh, really uh, mus- it's all a big musical number but it's really fun and just like this and it kind of inspired him to do this movie yeah um so if you if you can look that up on youtube i'm sure if you just look up the director you'll you'll find it but um um is that the legend of beaver dam yes that is what it's called a music a musical with guts is the byline (laughs) oh one thing that i forgot to pick up forgot to point out um right at the top i thought it was really funny that the movie starts off with this movie is based on true events (laughs) (laughs) and then it goes and then it says the musical numbers will be played in just as they occurred (laughs) (laughs) you know one thing about the musical numbers by the way um is that all of them did sing that live which oh cool which i i didn't know that until looking at the uh the ephemera and trivia on um on what do you call it imdb um but the, you know that is that's pretty incredible like because that's number one that's hard to do like got some news if you've never done that before that's not easy um but especially with the filming of a movie at the same time that's that's really tough so you know thinking about that that's technically you know that's a feather in their cap good work yeah, um, I, I do want to talk about the kills really quick because I actually think that this movie's a little more brutal than people are maybe expecting. Um, I especially think Artie's death is really extreme. Um, I definitely cringed when he fell back and that foot tore in half. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, my God. With, with, with the light falling on it? My God. Yeah. So and then, you know, we get a lot of the the kills with the the the, the weapon of the um, killer, which is like I said, the can, which I'm like, I'm thinking of how many times I've accidentally sliced my hand on a can and I'm just like, oh, God, that horrible. <laughs> Um, I think that Mini Driver showing up as kind of a weird cameo is so interesting because it's kind of the first thing that you see and you're like, oh, Mini Driver's in this. And then she immediately gets the one of the most brutal deaths with like a knife to the throat and in the mouth so much. But did you not? Had, what, did that not take you by surprise that they killed her off in that brutal yeah. way and right away? <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like it's, it's, it's nearly as soon as the film starts, she's dead. Yeah. Um, and then I do think that the, the the people that made this movie, you know, Jerome Sable, I think that he did a good job of like putting little things in there. Like I said, um, the Hellraiser thing. There's also one part where the stage. Um, what do you call the people that build the stage? Uh, like carpenters? Yeah, like it shows uh, during the during the montage of them getting ready for opening night, him with a saw, and he kind of does the reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where he kind of holds it above his head, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm making the I'm making the, the, the artwork." <laughs> but, um, I you know I loved uh, all the little things in this. Like I said, the girl with the lisp. I don't know if you noticed, but she so kind of turns up. She turns up in the most random parts. She's like the first one trying to get to the phone after Artie is killed yes. to try to to call her parents. Uh, um, and um, she shows up in a couple different areas, but she's always really, really funny. And I can only imagine that some of that stuff was improvised by that by that character, um, because I don't even know if she actually is in the cast list. She might be not even on. Un, un, <laughs> I don't know, like undocu not undocumented. Un. I don't know what the word is. Anyway, um, I, I loved it. I loved it when um, the stage manager is talking before they start rehearsals, and he's like, "But make no mistake, this is my area, and I you will feel my wrath." Yeah. JK, JK, I love you guys. <laughs> that was just so funny. <laughs> yeah, the way that they play it up, I think that 
you know these people. Like, oh, totally. Like you, like you said, like the Liza Minnelli of it all. Like, I don't yeah. even know if that girl has a line in the entire movie, but you still see her and you like, still... I, I was one of these people, for God's sake. Like, this is, this is, these are theater kids. We are fucked up and weird. This is it. I wanted to be, but, you know, we didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> and I also was trying to be straight, so whatever. Uh, anyway. <laughs> look look uh, how that worked out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, what else can we say about this? I'm, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with what we said. Is there anything that you want to add? No, I feel good about it. I mean, like it's, I, I do think that if you haven't seen it before, go give it a watch. Like it was, it was well worth my time. And like the little things that I was nitpicky about, that's just don't, even, it's, it's, those are tiny things. Go watch it. Go have fun. So Maddie, what do you score? And what are your main takeaways from Stage Fright? I give it a four and a half. And I said that, you know, the musical structure of the film doesn't really work for me. Some songs work, most fall flat, and some of it reeks of people making choices just for the ham of it. But some genuinely funny parts and Meatloaf as a villain, for God's sake, it just makes up for, I mean, really all of that. It's a charming film. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five. I said, the music of it all is amazing. The story is the best. I don't know. But I'm too busy singing, cringing from violence and laughing to care. (laughs) Well, that does it for our little chat about stage fright. And folks, we'll be back in a moment to close out the show and give you a little game to go off with. Shantae, you stay. Shantae, you stay. Shantae, you stay. Shantae, you stay. Folks, that is it for episode 109, Broadway is Terrifying, right here on Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. But before we let you go, we have a final game for you, and it's an old classic. It is Hottie of the Episode. Now, this is a very complicated game. The rules are basically this. Andrew and I pick somebody that we think is really cute, and then we tell you who that is. That's, that's, that's all that it is, really. So, um, Andrew, tell us, who is your Hottie of the Episode? So initially when I was thinking about this, I was going to pick Rocky, Peter Hinwood, just because like, I mean, think about the sexual awakening that happened for so many people like watching that movie and those little, you know, gold shorts and the muscles and everything like, and and, you know, that's initially what I thought. But like, if I'm really thinking about it, I got to go with Brad. I got to go with Good for you, girl. Um, He's just so cute in that movie. And his just like... I think that his journey through that movie is so interesting. And so um, it just touches me in a way and in a good way. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, give him give him some better underwear. We might be, you know, we might be talking here, but I I, I go with Brad. He's just so cute. My hot of the episode is uh, Douglas Smith, who plays Buddy in Stage Fright. You know, look, he's just cute. Um, and he is also surprisingly 38 years old. Um, so he's like right around our age, Andrew. And, um, wow. it's funny that he plays a young person like that because that's a lot younger. Anywho, um, I think he's cute. So that's my hottie of the episode. Cool. Well, that'll do it for episode 109 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. But before we go, with a couple of things to just let you know, um, if you've listened the last two hours of this podcast and really had a fun time, maybe consider donating or becoming a patron. Uh, you can do that by bec- by going to Friday13.com slash support, where you can also buy merchandise and all that kind of cool stuff. You don't have to, but you know what? It really does help us. So consider it. Yeah. Also, we have a new patron, and um, Sean Homrig, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, You owe us a movie to watch, Um, so please let us know on Patreon. And Sean, thank you for being a patron with us. 
Thank you so much. I owe you a message. Be reaching out soon. Thanks, friend. <laughs> and also, folks, if you have not yet left us a review, let this be the um, the reminder that we keep telling you every episode to go do that. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, um, but also tell people on social media. Let your friends know. Let your family know that you listen to this podcast and that they should do. We're going to continue to ask for reviews until we have a thousand and then we'll probably still ask for reviews. So keep going. Review, review, review. And finally, we hope you're having a great fall. We hope those yes. leaves are a changing around you and you're getting your sweaters out and you're enjoying your hot tea or hot cocoa or whatever you like to drink in these cold months. And finally, we encourage you to st- snuggle down and also to get, get slayed. slayed.